Sing, goddess, the, the anger of when Peleus, God son of Achilles. Tell me the about a complicated to me equal to the gods that man. On a hang, thousand bucklers. Man is Agamemnon. My husband is just the work delivery. Gentlemen, I'm worse. Would you not forget it? Ever can destroy. Will be to govern the peoples of the world in your empire. Hi guys, Artisheer here, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about to the lighthouse. Hi, it's Faven. I'm back. Hey, it's Ben. It's a pleasure to be here again, as always, but uh, Tim, <laughs> as always. All right. Um, so let's talk about To the Lighthouse. Um, I've talked to a couple people about this, and it seems like a lot of people, when I ask them about it, feel like they didn't really get it um, when they read through it. Uh, maybe it's the speed with which we go through it, but maybe it's the fact that you know it switches perspectives a lot. So I'm just curious um, to hear what you guys thought of To the Lighthouse. Um, just general impressions, and also were there any themes, anything that really stood out, any characters you resonated with? Well, I'll be the first con to confess that I had no idea what was going on, and uh, nor do I really remember very much of what was going on, because I had no idea. So in terms of things that stuck in my mind, I just remember that nothing did. There were, there were a couple things that stood out to me. I think one that is noteworthy that I'm sure we'll talk about uh, is the the biblical imagery that she uses throughout. Um, I wouldn't go so far as to declare that this book is Christian, but the dinner party scene seems to mirror the Passover. And at the end, Lily Briscoe declares it is finished when she finishes her painting, very reminiscent of mm -hmm. Christ on the cross. Um, and there are a few other things sprinkled throughout. Another thing that uh, I really thought of uh, as I finished this book was the way that uh, Wolf privileges uh, really mundane moments. You know, somebody will give uh, a line of dialogue that in any other book would be really a throwaway line. And then she'll discuss that and what it mm -hmm. means for a page and a half. She'll get really intimate with your psychology in those moments. And so to me, there seems to be almost this idea that we show who we truly are um, when we're thinking about it the least and in the everyday small little things. Yeah. I agree with that, and I also enjoyed um, the form of narration, even though it wasn't, you know, personal one person. It was a third person narration, yet um, she's able, or the narrator is able to shift from character to character. It just feels like you know them so intimately. Um, each one of them, you can, you know, um, go deep into their psychology, and um, yeah, and she's also very detailed with, like you said, the mundane things. She will describe even like. The flicker of the eyes and like their physical appearances and like um and so very detailed um and yeah and i know we're going to talk about time but she tends time tends to freeze as she's describing the scene and the people and then it goes on really fast in like certain sections of the book like time passing and so um the way she's able to play with time is very fascinating yeah yeah i like those thoughts i mean i remember reading this book i enjoyed it the the mental image it conjures up for me is like an impressionist painting almost it is kind of um the prose has an almost shimmering quality to it it focuses a lot on yeah you know those moments those impressions the subjectivity of it how does one person see this interaction versus how does another person see it and so yeah um Faven, thank you for bringing up that theme of time because yeah, uh, you'll go a little back and forward in time. Different characters will, you know, revisit events and so on. So, yeah, let's talk a little more about that. Where do you guys see this theme of time in this book? What happens to time um, in here, you know, and what do we take away from that? 
one instance that really stands out to me was um, in the beginning. Um, we all know during dinner, and Mrs. Ramsey just kind of just surveyed the room, and then she was just like taking it all in um, and seeking something permanent, something enduring, and what was fleeting and transient. Um, trying to find, I guess, the perm- the permanent element, I guess, of life and 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 what was taking place as you know people were eating dinner and socializing um and time tends to just kind of like freeze for her and um yeah this desire to just glean something that's like worthwhile and enduring from this ever fleeting you know moment yeah yeah i see i see what you're saying faven and part two of the book really illustrates what you're talking about where in the first 60 percent of the book everything takes place in a single afternoon in the next 20% it covers 10 years yeah and like half the characters (laughs) die in that period um and they're kind of just tossed away without much explanation and so it really does make you question what did they gain from that one afternoon you know what did they hold that was permanent because it wasn't the actual events of their life the things that would be written down in an autobiography um I think that part three where we again go back to like a single day I I think that draws out um how their relationships impacted them um and what they gleaned from that is really the feeling of having a whole family and how the house embodies that um and you know they have a lifelong impact on each other so they live on through the people that they impacted um Mm -hmm. but the actual events of their lives are perhaps not so important yeah yeah you guys are touching on a lot of i think really important words themes here transience permanence um i want to talk about that more i think you know transience uh ben you talked about in part two a lot of the characters die um a lot of human relationships break in a way the the whole book you have these shimmering moments of life the dinner party is a big one and we'll talk about that but there's times that are full of life, but in a way, the book is very much written in the shadow of death. It touches on the fact that the First World War broke out. Um, but also, do you guys remember the image with the skull, the skull in the children's room? Uh, I don't remember anything, but I remember we talked about that in my lit home <laughs> class. Huh. Obviously, you know, the memory even of this book can be transient for some. But <laughs> 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 yeah. So there's a scene where there's a boar's skull in mm-hmm. the children's room and it's up on the wall and the her daughter um and her son are in the room and her, her son likes having it up her daughter doesn't and mrs ramsey covers the skull up with a veil now i don't know if you remember but throughout time pass the second section of the book there's this constant refrain that you know it talks about what happens to the house while people are gone mm-hmm. and it says the veil slips the veil starts to fall mm-hmm. the veil drops mm-hmm. and so there's this really powerful image of this skull that Mrs. Ramsey does her best to hide from her children. Mm-hmm. But slowly it starts to, the veil starts to slip away. Yeah. What do you think of that? I mean, just, just kind of <laughs> thoughts about that. Thoughts about what is transient into the lighthouse? What endures? Well, I think like one of the most obvious things that's that's transient is the people themselves, the characters. Ben, I, I think you mentioned like in this, in this you know, very short section of the book, we just have death after death. You know, they don't come across as all that impactful. In, in a sense, you get the same transience of their life is conveyed in how that transience is told to you that, you know, oh, you know, Mrs. Ramsey died. And it's just kind of like a 
a shrug of the shoulders in the greater scheme of this span of time, you know, in the in the grand time scales of the universe and in, you know, the grand mechanisms of everything that's going on everywhere. One human life, as important as it might seem in this afternoon, uh, you know, in the present as we're alive, in a longer span of time, it's but a passing moment, a, f- a fleeting breath of anything. I see what you're saying, Tim. Um, certainly, she, she, you get this really haunting image of her dying and Mr. Ramsey reaching out his arms for her and just finding nothing. Wilhelm resonance is there. <laughs> Odysseus underworld reaching out for was it his uh, wife? Uh, no. no, not his wife. Sorry, um, some relative of his. I think Aeneas does the same. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> okay, Nerd. thanks. Um, so yeah, her life is certainly um, transient, but I think in another way it isn't. Right? I I I come, when I think of part two, I really think of this imagery of the house. I love the example you brought up artist here of the veil slipping from the boar's head skull. But throughout part two, after Mrs. Ramsey dies, all the other characters kind of spread out, dissipate, Mm -hmm. right? She was holding things together. She was trying to cover up those problems like with the veil. And so she leaves and all of a sudden they kind of lose the anchor that held them there. And the house over this period falls into great decay because nobody's there to take care of it. And we see things break, comes infested with animals, the veil slips, et cetera, et cetera. And you get this really, you know, abandoned, depressing picture of the house. But importantly, the house endures that. And in part three, all the characters have come back and they fix the house. And so part three, um, you get this really interesting image of a family coming back together for the first time after a decade, figuring out this new dynamic and things pull back together. And Mrs. Ramsey isn't there to hold them down. But each of the characters at some point talk about Mrs. Ramsey's impact on them. And they now are the ones who, because of her, want to hold the family together. And so they actually deal with those problems as a group instead of just trying to hold them up. Yeah. And Wolf does an amazing job in showing the transience of life. And, you know, for example, Mrs. Ramsey, you know, she was such a huge figure in the life of the family. She kept everything together. They look to her for, especially her husband, for grounding and encouragement. And yet we move to part two and so abrupt she dies. And also at that time, so many people were dying because of World War One, And so it goes to, she's just you know, one life that was lost, you know, amongst many. But Wolf also does a great job in showing us that, well, this one life also, you know, mattered a lot for a lot of people, for the family. And when it was gone, everything was just shattered, kind of. And and I won't argue that what brings them back is the memory of Mrs. Ramsey, but it is something that she has left behind that they're all holding on to um, that ultimately unites them um not only the family but also lily and other characters that were in the house um during part one of the book yeah those are all great thoughts i just wanted to bring up a quick quote that stuck with me from the book especially on this question of transience it's in uh part one chapter six it's i think mr ramsey is thinking to himself you know what is going to come of my life's work Uh, and he thinks to himself the very stone one kicks with one's boot will outlast shakespeare um so that's mm-hmm. a meditation on human transience. Yeah. It's, it's things sometimes endure. It seems like the impersonal world endures the objects, things like that. Uh, like you said, Ben, in a sense, the house endures. You have impersonal things that endure. Funnily enough, even the housekeeper in part two of the book is described in very impersonal ways. She's lurching, reeling, rolling. Mm. It talks about her like that. So it seems like impersonal things endure. Personal things don't quite endure. Now, here's a question. 
we are people, we are persons, uh, these characters are as well. As personal beings in a transient world, what do they look to um, to you know, cope or what do they love? And I ask those two questions and those are specifically worded because throughout the book, there's a strong connection between looking and loving. Um, now, d does this ring any bells? Is there any character who's defined by love or by looking or by both? Or does this come to mind in any scenes? Um, yeah, I mean, the, th the two things that come to mind um, as you were asking that question, like, you know, human life is so transient um, and what does endure is impersonal. And I guess, like, how are these characters trying to... Um, I don't want to say escape that transience, but kind of overcome that and still leave their mark, you know, continually, even after their own death. And there are two ways in the novel. You know, one is Mrs. Ramsey advocating for marriage and children because posterity and, you know, your, um, your bloodline gets to endure. And then, um, you have the way of Lily, um, where she doesn't want to get married. She wants to stay single and she wants to remain independent, but, she still desires um, permanence and um, that is shown in her work as an artist. Um, her work does last, her work, her painting of Mrs. Ramsey and James do last. Um, and so for her, that is her way of um, experiencing permanence, I guess, or, you know, not dying without anything. And for Mrs. Ramsey and for others that for them, it's through childbearing. I really like that. I really like that you pointed out those two ways. Some people wrote whole papers about that when they were in Lidham. But um, yeah, I guess I guess what I want to say there is that both ways are defined by love in a way. Um, Miss uh, Mrs. Ramsey is constantly described as a loving yes. character, um, but Lily is often said she looks at things with love. I forget the specific passages. Maybe you guys remember that. No, um, yeah, I could be wrong, but uh, I think something of that flows. Um, into her art as well now here's my question then um what what do they respectively look to or um or what are they looking out at um if that makes sense i mean they're always looking out the lighthouse i mean part one is called the window and the lighthouse is what's out the window and at some point all of the characters stare out the window at the lighthouse miss ramsey in particular has a quite extended scene where she is just sitting at the window looking out and um, there's also an interesting airplay there of her husband blocking the window at times or her husband is there she often looks at him i would argue i uh, could be wrong here but i would say she's often looking at people right so this is part one chapter 17 and i mean this is a very memorable quote from the from the book but i'll just read it it could not last mrs ramsey knew but at the moment her eyes were so clear that they seemed to go round the table unveiling each of these people and their thoughts and their feelings without effort like a light stealing underwater so that it's ripples and the reeds in it and the minnows balancing themselves and the sudden silent trout are all lit up hanging trembling uh yeah i mean we can set the fish metaphor aside but it's like she's looking at people and she knows them in the looking and she loves them then do you have part one chapter 19 this is talking about mrs and mrs ramsey yeah i can read that yeah and she looked at him smiling for she had triumphed again she had not said it yet he knew I, rem I remember reading that quote. I thought it was really interesting because um, that comes at the end of a chapter where basically Mr. Ramsey is upset that Mrs. Ramsey never says she loves him, right? And he feels really neglected by that. And yet there, at, at that moment, there's this silent communication between them. I, I forget what exactly it is she said, but it was something 
again very trivial and in that moment they kind of smile at each other and she turns around and she says this quote and she says you know i i just won this battle even though i didn't say it he knows yeah. that i love him right now yeah she's james wanted to go to lighthouse and he was like well the weather is not gonna it's looking terrible and discouraged him um and so she basically agrees with him like well yeah you're right the weather does look terrible tomorrow and for him that was like a confirmation that she she does love him um, but it's also interesting because she is, you know, earlier we said Mrs. Ramsey's a very loving person. Um, she is the matriarch of the house. And yet she has a hard time expressing her love for him. And she only concedes um, as 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 a way to show him that she does love him. And so what is what is going on there? She's the most loving figure there, but she also can't express her love. I would say throughout the book, we have characters who have difficulty communicating with each other. And this is actually a point we'll touch on a little later, because I think in the modern world, there is this question, you know, there is distance between people. There is, you know, how do we get across what we want to get across mm-hmm. when there's specific moment, some there's special moments like the dinner party where we feel specially connected to the people around us. But there's other times, you know, when you just feel distant, you're not saying what you mean to say, or mm-hmm. they're not mm-hmm. saying it. For Mrs. Ramsey specifically, so, so this is the ending of part one, right? Um, she's looking at her husband. He's looking back at her. There's this moment of looking and there's this moment of loving and knowledge, right? Knowing each other. The end of part three, I think, is instructive in comparison to this. It ends with Lily, mm-hmm. Lily Briscoe. What's the last sentence of the book? Yes, she thought, laying down her brush in extreme fatigue. I have had my vision. What's she looking at? The lighthouse. <laughs> lighthouse she's not looking at someone right is she looking with someone who mr carmichael mr carmichael who is also yeah an artist yep also an artist i think this is really interesting what's going on here um i don't know if you guys remember during time passes the second portion of the book you have the war you have people being blown up you have the characters we know dying And Mr. Carmichael's doing well during this period. There's a line, a throwaway line in the book. He said people were saying during that the war had revived their interest in poetry. People are turning to art now um, in a world where human relationships are transient, in a world where they're fleeting. In a way, it's a move from one love to another. I, mm. There's a quote from C.S. Lewis um, where he basically talks about romantic love and friendship love mm-hmm. as a defined by the direction of where you're looking. Mm. Um, lovers are looking at each other. Friends typically are looking out at some external thing. Mm. Um, so in a sense, we have the romantic love, Mr. and Mrs. Ramsey, consolidated in marriage, emphasis on child rearing, in a sense, traditional society, disrupted by the events of the war, and is replaced instead by this sort of friendship, platonic, artistic um, love. Um, what do you guys think of that shift? Do you think it's there? I mean, this I could be reading this into the text. Um, or if you think it's there, what do you make of it? Um, what are your opinions on it? So I, I do think that shift is there. Um, I almost read it as a way to demonstrate that there is uh, not so much of a difference between these things, that uh, at least in Virginia Woolf's mind, they serve the same purpose, right? We see Mrs. Ramsey and Lily Briscoe, first of all, are... Uh, very much identified with each other. Certainly, Mrs. Ramsey is a major influence on Lily, constantly thinking about things Mrs. Ramsey told her. I think we see uh, in part one, especially, when Mrs. Ramsey looks at people, she understands them and she 
reveals their psychology to us and tells us what they're thinking and feeling at any given moment. Uh, Lily Briscoe does much the same thing with her painting. I mean, we get this uh, amazing narration uh, from Lily where she describes her abstract painting and she talks about um, this one purple shape in a corner that she claims is um, how she has reduced the figure of a mother um, to its basic elements. And so she's composing this painting that really is um, what the human beings around her are on a very fundamental level and thus revealing what kind of people they are. Um, and we see Lily Briscoe also when she is meditating on her art and when people come up to her while she's working on art, she also reveals their psychology mm. to them and makes comments on why they do the things they do. And so I, I do see I do see the shift from a romantic, like directly looking at somebody to a more friendship and looking at art. But I, I believe that they in this book, they reveal the same things about people. I don't know. I, I think there's something to be said about almost the inability to want to look at someone else after conflict, mm -hmm. right? Like you have such a disruptive event in world history and in the novel as well. Coming back from that, it's a question of how do we restore what we had before? And I think there is this hesitancy towards immediately wanting to look at other people yeah. because, you know, these are other people who are transient, right? These are other people who time will take from us and who can turn against us even. But it's in this act of looking out together right, at something that is less transient. I mean, we've talked about how the immaterial or the, the material, the, the impersonal is something that's less transient. It's more persistent through time. And so you're looking out at this lighthouse together. And that is an act that you can do alone, but you can do with someone beside you. But it's not going to disappear all of a sudden it you know it's it's sort of something that you can comfortably come back to you know looking at someone on the other hand you know it's only gonna last for so long and it necessarily has to have the reciprocity right yeah yeah in this book art is interesting uh to go off what you said tim almost i don't know if we'd call it a coping mechanism but it's like it makes the personal it makes people a little less personal right Ben, like yeah. you said, Mrs. Ramsey gets turned into a purple shape. Um, there's somewhere where it straight up says, you know, the, Mrs. Ramsey and her son are basically like objects in the painting to be moved here and there. But at the same time, it makes impersonal things a little more personal. It's through my eyes that this is being depicted. Um, so it's this interesting, I don't know if you call it a union of Shakespeare and the stone now, but it's almost like, yeah, this is my mark on the material world. And, you know, maybe this will last. To the point about conflict that you raised as well, um, I think we can just, yeah, the idea that human relationships are fraught with conflict. It's not just the world war. It's throughout the book. Like on the second page, it says the son wants to kill his father. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's like Mr. Mr. Ramsey is constantly described as like this violent force almost. And maybe not literally, but it's like um, he's seen that way. Right. Okay. So what we've got is a world where relationships are... Um, frightening. There's a, almost like a, you know, distance between people. There's the possibility for conflict, for pain. Um, they're, they won't last. And, you know, the people die. Um, things change. Time passes. Um, and, you know, we can look to other things. We can try and take refuge in not super committed relationships or relationships predicated around art, some external thing. 
I don't know. I mean, it's a little bleak, mm-hmm. I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, let, let's turn to scripture. Yeah. Um, does this remind you of anything? All of this time passes, you know, will anything last? These kinds of questions. <laughs> Ecclesiastes. Yeah, <that's> <laughs> vanity of vanity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I guess uh, when I think Ecclesiastes, the first thing I think of is the, the word hevel in Hebrew mm. that gets translated as vanity into English, but literally it means smoke. smoke. Yeah. yeah, and the idea that life is the smoke that you could see, but you can't touch it, and it's going to disappear so fast. Mm. Um, you know, it's it, it's there, but is it (laughs) how much you cannot rely on smoke you know um i will say i think uh significantly to the themes of the book i think ecclesiastes ends on a hopeful note right and it um so there are good things in ecclesiastes you know it's good to enjoy your work and to um, work hard and just be uh try to be discerning in all that you do um certainly ecclesiastes uh provides some sort of security in that too. And I think I see that reflected into the lighthouse, you know, even though it's so uh, bleak for most of it, you know, you think of uh, childhood memories getting corrupted in part two where, you know, James picks up shells on the beach and then he dies when he gets shelled in uh, France. Uh, But then you also see redemption at the end of the book, right? Where you have, um, you have um, Mr. Ramsey and his son have this big, uh, rift between them because uh, Mr. Ramsey will never praise him. Um, he always holds out his love, but at the very end, at the very end of the book, they reach the lighthouse and Mr. Ramsey praises his son and their relationship is healed in an instant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also think that there are good things in life, right? And yet those things are not less smoke, right? They're not less of a vanity, right? They're still simply passing moments. And that's sort of like you you have this amazing dinner, right? It's still just one afternoon, but it, that doesn't take away from the good that is there in, in terms of like what is then the ultimate good. Um, it's the completely non-transient. And, you know, even looking out at the lighthouse together, that lighthouse, you know, given a thousand years will crumble and fall away. Even like the very formations of the earth, right? The mountains will crumble and the seas will cover up the plains, right? Even the impersonal. Right. Even the impersonal, even the world, right? That rock, it's not going to last forever. And so if we really want to focus on the completely intransient, uh, then we have to focus on God, uh, yep. mm-hmm. right? The, the only thing before time, through time, and after time, right, that is incorruptible and he will not change and so in that sense we get the looking into right because god is someone he is looking back at us and we get that looking into each other and almost this looking out together Mm -hmm. and when god was asked you know what is the most important thing you know in this life he says you know love god and love each other on these laws and the prophets hang right and he is um commanding us to love the transient over the intransient but we 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 know now everything is transient even the impersonal but when it comes to work or to objects kind of running to them seeking refuge in them because you know there's so much disruption and trauma happens you know happening that's not it's not something that we're commanded to do but god is Commanding us, admonishing us to focus on each other, on the things that are hard to do, even though we will 
you may fade away and the impersonal may remain for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. I like this theme of hope. I think we'll, we'll return to it in a minute as, as we uh, close, but I, I do want to say, I would say as Christians, we have hope. Um, but we also don't want to minimize the fact that it is painful um, when things pass mm-hmm. away. Um, even for us, we're no strangers to, you know, relationships that are hard. It's hard to, specifically because we're commanded to love our neighbors, it can be hard to do that. It can be hard to find those moments of communication. So, I mean, you have that wonderful example of the dinner party um, in, in the book. I mean, have you experienced moments of connection like that? Or better yet, how do you seek out those moments? And how can we extend those moments to a world that has just, you know, come out of social distancing, uh, come out in a world where people are looking for community, in a world where people are feeling distant from each other. I think the church is a good place, um, or ought to be. Yeah, I was just going to say, one one thing that I always love in a church service is when you're singing a song and you, know, you come to the to the last refrain or the last chorus and the music will drop out and the, the singer will step back from the microphone and you just have the full congregation. You can hear the congregation and not just sort of the music and the main vocalist. And there's something that I, I think is very powerful in, in those moments. It makes me want to just sing like that all the time because you, you do get that sense of community that, you know, your voices are, they're physically actually mingling in the air in the same way that all of those voices are just becoming like one block of sound echoing around in that hall. Your your bodies too are together in Christ's body and becoming one, your spirit as well, one with everyone else's mm-hmm. spirit. Not in some sort of like vague natural nature sense where, <laughs> oh, we're all be- becoming part of like the one spirit Hippie. or anything. <laughs> but just in this sense of, you know, We are partaking in the one true spirit. And there's something very beautiful about that. Singing often highlights for me that community, and especially in those moments. I like that a lot. And as you were saying that, it reminded me, you know, in a church service, we're all also looking in the same direction, um, you know, uh, looking out together. And I think church should be a place where, you know, there's time. It should be a community within which there's plenty of time to look at each other, care for each other have fellowship together. But we're also looking out. Um, and, and who are we looking to? Mm. The ultimate in transience. What's his name? <laughs> oh. Oh, the p- well, yes, like in a, the, the pastor, but ultimately we're looking in the direction of... Mm-hmm. We're looking to Christ. Christ, uh, right. God. And there's a, a great tradition to have the altar, right? And in, yeah. especially in like Catholic theology, you'll have mm-hmm. the Eucharist on yeah. the table yeah. that you're actually looking at Christ. Yeah. No, no, listen. In Orthodox. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, we're looking at Christ, um, looking to Christ. This isn't just modern language, modern metaphor. Um, there's that whole thing with in numbers, that image of the bronze serpent being lifted yes. up in the wilderness. If you look to him, you'll be healed. Mm-hmm. Christ speaks that way of himself. Look to me. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, um, had, uh, you know, um, dealt a lot with feelings of guilt, that a lot of, uh, dealt a lot with fear over his salvation. And I remember um, hearing this, that, you know, the moment as a teenager when he was comforted was, you know, uh, he heard a sermon, uh, was reading from Isaiah, 
turn to me and be saved is one translation. It's also look to me and be saved. And the preacher told them, all you need to do is look. Look to him. Look to him and be saved. When we look, we love. Um, yes, we're looking out at the intransient, but when we speak of God only as the intransient, um, we can be in danger of making him abstract, mm -mm. Yeah. and we forget that he's also personal. We forget that he also endured the transients of life, um, mm -hmm. that he also endured death. And I think above all, um, above all, we forget that, you know, uh, it's, it's easy to forget this, but his resurrection, which is what we're going to remember um, a week from now, assures us that the personal will last, that the personal has triumphed, mm. that, Amen. that love has triumphed over death. Um, ben, you talked about hope. Um, in Ecclesiastes, you know, do your work. But you could still ask, based on Ecclesiastes, why am I working? Why am I laboring? Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says, because of the resurrection of Christ, your labors are not in vain. Mm -hmm. So whether we labor to love one another, as Mr. and Mrs. Ramsey do, or whether we labor to create art, as the Librisco does, the resurrection ought to give us hope. Yeah. Um, any further thoughts on this? Um, in terms of a Christian perspective, what do you think the lighthouse would represent? <laughs> that, I mean, that's one thing I was thinking the whole time. It's like the lighthouse is something that looks, right? Mm. Lighthouses, they one of very few objects in the world that actually has this sort of gaze mm -hmm. that goes out. And it's interesting that the quote we read about you know, uh, Mrs. Ramsey looking out and, you know, being able to just spy what's under the water, right? That's like, that's actually what lighthouses do, right? They, they look under the water in a sort of sense and say, this is where the bad water is. Don't go here. Yeah. And so, you know, if we want to talk about God as a sort of not object, but, you know, someone out there that's able to look back and it's sort of a different sight than we have. It's grander, it's larger, um, and it sees deeper, it pierces much deeper, yeah. then that's sort of God, right? He is mm. this much larger thing with a much greater ability to see. Mm. Yeah. yeah, let's close with that. Here's the question for you. Is there someone in the lighthouse? Who is it? Oh. <laughs> write to us, write to us and tell us what you think. Where can you reach us, Tim? You can uh, email us at witnessthegoodfight at gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at uh, thegoodfightpod. So mm -hmm. please reach out and yeah, with that, um, have a happy Easter. Happy Easter. We'll see you, Easter. Happy, yeah. we'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.